This is the This is the This is the Brain This is the Brain Language This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. This is the Brain Language Podcast. Welcome to the Brain Language Podcast, where we discuss NLP concepts to help you in your life and your business. I'm Alex Tolene. And I'm Susan Stageman. And I'm back. We're so happy. <laughs> Folks, you can't believe what I had to go through. To It was not that he quit or anything. He just, Alex has been so busy with things that are going on in the world. You know, he's a wealth manager. So things have been a little bit like a roller coaster, right, Alex? Oh, it's been a, it's been an interesting time for sure. Yeah. So we finally found a time when he can do a podcast here. So we're going to do something very, very interesting that kind of dovetails uh, with some of the things that are going on today. And it's basically how we make decisions and the psychology of doubling down. When I talked to Alex about this last week and how people think their decision-making process is so airtight and that they're really basing it in reality and, in fact, is not really based in reality at all. And then you mentioned Alex's psychology of doubling down, which I'd never heard of in that way. So Alex is going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about decision-making and how these two come together to form really disastrous <laughs> directions that people take, not only in their financial life, but in other parts of their life also. And what, of course, to do about it. I don't believe that talking about all the bad things that happen really gets anybody any place. You've got to say, okay, this is not a great thing, but here's what you can do about it. Yeah, I'll get started in really the discussion and some of the things that I've seen, right? Good. Okay. You know, we call it doubling up to catch up in, in the trading community, which tends to have uh, pretty dire consequences, right? Because moves can last longer, go faster, higher, or lower than people can stay solvent. And one of the key patterns that I've seen is that, you know, people make a decision. And in the case of, of investments or trading, they put some money on the line to do that. And instead of taking in the information that they're receiving from markets and what's going on, they get attached to the idea that if they get out of a position in a way that loses some money, that they're wrong. They don't want to be wrong. They want to be right. And to further the commitment of being right, they take a stand. And that stand is I'm going to double down because I know I'm right, regardless of the information that's clearly telling them <laughs> that's right, yeah. uh, that it's wrong. And like I said, I've, I've seen some, some disastrous mistakes with that idea. And it yeah. happens, unfortunately, fairly often. And I'll give you a couple of examples. In 2005, 2006, oil was you know, trading at about 40 on its way to 140. And I remember talking to people that were very, very convincingly trying to tell me that oil should not be at 40. It should be at 20. And there's no way that it's going to go higher. Wow. Um, and my argument was, you know, you might not think it should, should be trading at 40, but guess what? It is. 
And um, it's likely just because of of some of the macro frameworks um, is likely to go much higher. And, you know, we see that same type of thinking play out over and over again. So how does that start to happen? I'm going to let you key in on that. Okay. So I I did want to say that as a definition to double down is to take a further risk in a situation or compassionately recommit to one's efforts to a cause or course of action. Uh, The Oxford Dictionary says it strengthens one commitment to a particular strategy or course of action, typically one that's potentially risky. So an example, he decided to double down and escalate the war. Well, when you think about it, this kind of thinking plays over and over. You know, I I remember my dad had these little stamps. They were little stickers that he put on. There's a whole bunch of them. And one is a guy sitting behind a desk and he says, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with facts. (laughs) And to me, that's kind of like what you're talking about, Alex. Yeah, don't confuse me with any facts here. Just, you know, let me do what I'm going to do. And this is such a a strategy that people are using to make decisions on a lot of different things, not just, say, for instance, their financial health. So decision-making is a very complex process. Some are more complex than others. But we generally arrive at making a decision both externally and internally, and then we take action. And once that happens, then whatever we decide, a lot of people, as Alex says, will double down into that strategy, even in the face of information that is contradictory to what it is that they should be doing. So first there's a decision, then there's a doubling down. So how do you get there? How did you decide whether something is true or not true? That's the point of decision where action happens. So where is that point? You know, how does that doubling down fit into decision-making? We're going to go back to that. So we make decisions. We have an idea our brain flashes a picture or a conversation, and then we start taking in information. If we have a similar experience from the past, then we draw conclusions based on that decision or sometimes intuition, which, by the way, is another category altogether, or we go external to find information. Oftentimes, when it's a category or an area where we don't have a lot of information, or that information changes a lot, we tend to, I think people who are smart, tend to go outside and ask questions and gather information. Right now, I'm in the process of looking for and purchasing a refrigerator. So I already have some of my specs together. Now I'm just looking for, you know, where do I buy this? And My husband said something interesting. I said, would you measure the space? Because I measured it and I don't trust myself. So I go to an outside source, someone who does construction and is more of a mechanical engineer to measure it. So he gives me what it is. And he said, Susan, you know, these are standard. I said, no, they're not. (laughs) You go to look for a refrigerator now, they come in about all shapes and sizes. I'm I'm surprised you can't get around one, but 
Anyway, <laughs> I mean, there. if you haven't bought a refrigerator, you know, for a while, folks, and you're looking at one of the new, like, French doors and all that kind of good stuff, then you're in for a ride. Well, anyway, I digress. So then does our past experiences, do they affect our decisions? Well, yeah, because our memories are laid down and conclusions are made based on them. Those pictures, sounds, sensations make meaning and then corresponding emotions. So we remember the meaning, that meaning forms beliefs and then filters new information about a subject. So one of the things now, Alex, and maybe he can address some of this, is there is oftentimes, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a science, but there is also guidelines, would you say, Alex, about investing in a lot of things that um, usually turn out to be weighted heavily in the correct category? Could you say that? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, the problem with what's happened now, and I think COVID was a lot to blame for this, was this word science has now become its own meme, You know, people (laughs) without science science background say that science is definitive. Well, let me tell you, folks, I have been I worked in medical research. I know I have a biology and biochemistry degree, and I know what goes on behind the scenes. And I'm not the only one that says this. But, you know, oftentimes, especially if we don't have enough information, and I think that's why people double down, right, Alex, is because they really are not looking at the whole of the information. And then if some authority comes out and says, oh, well, that study shows, so then it must be true. And that's not necessarily true. You know, if you look behind the curtain in science, there are a lot of different fields where there's a lot of experts. You'll find that those experts argue about things all the time. All the time. They argue (laughs) about things. What do they do in, um, say, financial investments, you know, in the investment world, what happens there? Can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah. So in the investing world, there is a, I would say the science that I think people cling to is X is a good company because of, you know, it makes such and such and has this much in profit. I think when you go behind that, there really are seasons of investing based on things like growth, rate of change, inflation, that really, if you're a real student of what's going on in marketplace, well, you understand that there's seasons and you don't, you know, just like in the middle of winter, you're not going to go run around in shorts all the time. Right. Um, and it's the same thing with investments. And I think that a lot of people actually don't know that. And so it makes them make really bad decisions. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I think in the investing world, where doubling down becomes a real issue is that, well, in another environment, this works really, really well. I didn't realize the environment changed and I don't know about environment. So if it's good at a hundred, that must be great at 50. And then it goes to 20 and, and you have despair, right? Right. Yes. Yes. So this is oftentimes, you know, what happens and, and people, people make a lot of decisions because it makes sense. You know, we take information through our eyes, our ears, our senses, our feelings, uh, sensations, and then we come to a conclusion and it makes sense to us, but it only makes sense because 
a lot of information was deleted, generalized, or distorted. And I know that listeners to the podcast have heard that phrase before. And it gets deleted, generalized, and distorted according to your maps that are already present. So, you know, when you when you don't read between the lines or you read, if you're a reader, or maybe you get your financial advice or your medical advice from your neighbor or your, you know, parents or your <laughs> uncle or somebody like that. And don't you think, Alex, that depending on what's how they sort information, a lot of people make those decisions based on people. They like the person, they have good rapport with the person. And so it makes sense that they would go with them. Not everybody bases their experience on people. And sometimes the person who has the least rapport with you <laughs> is the best way to, the best path to help you get what you want. But oftentimes we make decisions based on a person's personality and not so much their expertise or what they could really do. So going back to, you know, scientific study, just in general, a lot of it, you know, is negated and definitely criticized by other scientists. Some conclusions that scientists come to just make sense. So then it's generally accepted by a scientific community, even if it's never proven. And there's so many examples of that. One is, of course, John Karen's work on genetics, bacterial genetics, and this was years and years and years ago. The other thing I wanted to say just about science in general is scientific research. It takes about 10 years of research for something to really become conscious in, in the general population's awareness. And that's when people reporting on it will, will, does this make sense? If it makes sense, they report on it and they make, give it a positive spin. If it doesn't make sense, they report on it and they give it a negative spin. So you don't really know what kind of information you're getting or how much information has been taken out or distorted so that it made sense to the writer or whoever was communicating it, the reporter. Yeah. So, I would, yeah. I, I was going to just interject. I mean, I think in the, um, in the area of nutrition, this is probably the most obvious. Ah, good, um, good, good example. Where you have, yeah, where you have a study and then, you know, five years later, a new study comes out and says, that's not true. Right. And then five years later, another one comes out and says, that's kind of true. And then nobody knows. But the other thing, particularly when it comes to the, the psychology of the feelings, you know, I think everybody likes to win. And, oh, absolutely. And yeah. So be, and people want to be right. Mm -hmm. um, and so they double down in, in the belief system in order to get that feeling of I'm going to be victorious. Right. Yeah, it's um, it definitely makes human beings feel good. That's right. When they're <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And um, I remember that story about the the original story goes the six blind men and the elephant. The story I've told and heard was three blind men and the elephant. But whether there's six or three, see, here's here's another. I thought it was three blind men and an elephant. That's what I read. And then I looked it up one day and it's actually the original story had six. But I digress again. <laughs> so it's, but there's just an example of sometimes, you know, we just accept something is true. And then we don't really do any kind of research to find out whether in that, in fact, and I'm just talking about a silly little story, but the story is about three blind men or six 
sublime, it doesn't matter, was examining an elephant. Now, an elephant is pretty big. And so one blindman says that the elephant is like a hairy rope. And then another one says, no, it's this long, cool cylinder that is very um, malleable and flexible. And then the third one says, no, it's this great, big, huge, massive stone-like thing with a lot of little hills and valleys. And you know, what's really interesting is all three of them are correct, but all three of them misunderstand are not correct or mistaken in the idea that what they experienced was all of the elephant. If you put their ideas together, you had a better idea of what actually an elephant was. But in and of himself, they only had a very small part of what experienced what the elephant was. And I remember my trainer saying, you know, so can anybody ever assert fully that somebody is totally wrong and, and the other person is totally right. And I think that's what you're talking about, Alex. And so the more information that you can collect, the better decisions that we make, even when that information goes against what we formally thought. You know, people change their minds all the time. You know, new beliefs form all the time. We don't oftentimes carry a set of beliefs, especially young beliefs through our entire life, they evolve and they grow and they change, you know, as our situation changes. But that thing about nutrition that you mentioned, I think is really interesting. And it does happen. You know, if some is good, more is better, right? And I have a friend who has developed peripheral neuropathy with a a vitamin B overload, vitamin B6 overload. Now, whoever hears about vitamin B6, but when she started complaining about this tingling in her feet, one of the things that they did was they sent her, I know because I talked to her, she was sent to a person to do some tests and her vitamin B6 was off the chart. And I remember having this conversation with her. She said, well, I just, I told the doctor that couldn't be true. And <laughs> there's the test. The doctor says, well, you know, an overload of vitamin B6 causes peripheral neuropathy, (laughs) you know, but, you know, oh, I've got to have vitamin B. What's the other thing that that they've done? Oh, you know, Linus Pauling came out with vitamin C. You got to do vitamin C. Yeah, when people are taking so much vitamin C, they were, you know, having to go to the restroom every five minutes. So it's a water soluble vitamin. They can't, it doesn't stay in your body. So anyway, it, it just, <laughs> just so much. Do this, do that, do this. And the truth of the matter is, I think a little bit of um, being reasonable and not going off the deep end on anything is probably the best strategy. Yeah, I've I've been very interested in the debate between the vegan doctors and the carnivore doctors. Ah, yes. They both present lots and lots of data. And uh, I'm concluded that whatever works best for me is probably the way to go. Right. And not have a bias based on what somebody else would think is moral or not. Exactly. Yeah. And I remember um, Dr. Bruce Slippin saying, something like a macrobiotic diet doesn't work because it's a microbiotic diet. It works because it's a microbiotic diet and you believe that it works. So (laughs) a lot of it comes down to our beliefs. So a lot of studies, you know, we're talking about a lot of studies in a lot of different areas start with just being theories. And then theories 
which is interesting, they have their own built-in bias. Then it has to be proven or disproven. And that's where my medical research came into play because my boss was trying to, or he's the head of our department, was trying to prove something because he had this thing. He said that his theory was that people in ICU over a long, longer period of time actually starve to death because they just give them glucose and that's not what they mean. So he wanted to do this hyperalimentation. So he was looking for all the studies that would prove that hyperalimentation worked or that people were starving to death. So they're cannibalizing, you know, their muscles and organs because they weren't getting the right nutrition. Well, what was really interesting is, you know, he handed me a study to try to reproduce without really understanding what I was doing because I was just one step above a lab rat. You know, I changed the protocol and I didn't realize that I'm such an options person. That's part of the problem. And, uh, <laughs> you know, when, uh, when all this is really highly procedural and you have to do it step by step. Well, anyway, so fortunately, I didn't stay in it, folks, very long because who knows where we'd be, the, you know, medicine today. But the other thing I wanted to just say about this before we kind of move on some of this other stuff is that a lot of times those theories tend to be just ideas. And there was a a guy, an author, uh, Bill Bryson, writes a lot about a lot of things in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, but he's a great researcher. And he puts things in terminology that the layperson, like myself, can understand. And he wrote a book called The Body. And it's a pretty big book, but if you want to know you know, the body and how science and medicine developed. <laughs> My gosh, you cannot, a hundred years ago, you cannot believe what they did with people. And then they tend to throw things out. You know, if one thing doesn't work, oftentimes authorities will throw the whole thing out rather than looking at individual therapies that might actually work. So when methods improve, when a study is run again, then it can be proven. When it's disproven because of methods, did that mean it wasn't valid or was it just because of the methodology that they used? Then a generally accepted theory is going to be bucked by the community and then new evidence that comes out, it's discounted. So it'll take, again, 10 years to prove or disprove something before it hits the general population. And even after that, some therapies have been used for 50 years. And then as time marches on, and so does research, new therapies come out. So how do our own biases and authorities affect our decisions? So Alex, do you have anything? You had some interesting things to say about that and conspiracies. Well, yeah. I mean, my thought has always been that that there really aren't are not true conspiracies. There are sides, there's interested parties. Are there times when those interested parties where their interests align? Sure. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're seeing that right now geopolitically, right? Yeah. That, that you have an alignment of sides, particularly in the West, that are aligning. And so you're seeing that play out in real time. I did want to say one thing about theories, because I find this really interesting. So, and then we'll get back to this. But anytime somebody says, Alex, think about it, a big red flag goes off in my head. Because, <laughs> because, <That's right. laughs> because you're you're about to ask me 
to make a logical conclusion with no evidence. That's and that brilliant. And that really bothers me yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. And it should bother everybody. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's trying to prove something to you or convince you of something with no evidence. Yeah. Exactly. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty good. And I think that happens a lot today. People take sides on things and then you don't confuse me with facts. I'm and the I made truth, up my mind. <laughs> yeah, I've made up my mind. And and a lot of times the truth, I think, is somewhere in the middle. I oftentimes think both sides of an argument have validity and that there's something in the middle that can work for everybody. So I think the question is, well, how do you know that you're right? I think that's a question that people ought to ask themselves because depending on their their common sense or sense, does it make sense or does it match the data that they've been bringing in and how have they gotten that data, et cetera, et cetera. So how do beliefs and metaprograms filter information? Well, the idea is if you believe that people are inherently bad, then anything that someone does is bad. Or if your description of bad fits your description of bad, and then you say, oh, that person is bad. So you go from, in in the logical levels, you go from somebody's behavior and they chunk it way up to their identity. When the, the fact of the matter is that I don't think anybody's bad from an identity point. I suppose there are people who are bad. Remember in the NLP model, they all have positive intention at a behavioral level. But once we get that filter in place that says that person is bad, they're not going to see anything that the person does to the contrary. And the opposite is true is good. If you think a person is good, then everything you see about them or, or experience about them is going to be what you label as good. Metaprograms work the same way. If you move away from pain and negative consequences, you tend to make decisions based on protection and safety. If you move towards, the person will tend to take more risks for positive gains. A person who is internally referenced or more internally referenced will make decisions based on their own standards. External is going to go and base their decision more on their own authorities. And I do mean not all authorities. I mean, who they think is an authority. Right. So let's talk about how to make good decisions. I mean, now we've talked about how the world is falling apart. Not really, folks, Uh, but, but that you can really get yourself into a negative situation in a lot, a lot of situations in a lot of different areas by not taking in information or refusing to take in information that's being presented to you and then doubling down on it and going, no, this is right. I know it's right. I'm, you know, I'm going to stick here. Yeah. I wonder if they said that at the Alamo. (laughs) Damn be the consequences. There, there was some consequences (laughs) there, bless their hearts. So anyway, so how do you make good decisions? One of the things that you can do is bring up past decisions that were good decisions at the time and look at the structure. This goes right back to our good old submodalities, the location of the pictures in your head, the sounds, the feelings, the size, the color, the focus. Is it focused or not? Is it framed or panoramic? And that's just the visual ones. What about, well, sounds? What kind of sounds are associated where the sounds come from? And where's the feeling in your body? Good decisions will have similar submodality structure. 
in comparison, look at not so good decisions. See, because we understand, human beings understand things through comparison. And so you can't, when you make a decision, you really don't know if it's going to be a good decision or not good decision, unless you get evidence that either shows you that it was a good decision or not good decision. But if you look at not so good decisions, so what's the difference in the structure? And then that's the first part. Look at your experiences were good and then look at your decisions that were good and then not so good. Then the second point, look at multiple points of view. And I know we've done one on the perceptual positions. Remember, you will probably choose what makes sense to you, but it won't hurt to move around and look at it from above and below. We'll also choose unconscious information sources that match what we want to hear or what we're leaning towards. And so is somebody saying to you, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so, like an investment strategy and go, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so you jump on board without, you know, based on little information or no information and then find out that, well, it worked for somebody else, right? Check multiple sources and resources helps you avoid losing or missing information from someone else's bias. So anyway, let's, anything else you want to say about this, Alex? We just thought that this topic would be extremely useful given what's going on in the world and given what we do for a living, both of us, that, you know, making decisions is a complex process. Anything else you want to add to that before we recap, Alex? Yeah. So kind of an interesting story. I have a friend as his own investing and we were talking just about some of the the challenges he's had in the way that he makes decisions. And I suggested, I said, you know, some people like to keep a journal, you know, what's worked for him and why and what hasn't. And that yeah. way you can, you can study it. And he's like, well, why would I do that? I just, that just made me depressed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, get, I, I get that excuse. Why do anything that makes you breath? That that goes back to the old "Don't confuse me with facts," right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, let me live in this bubble and just let all the information. I heard something interesting today that aligns with all of that, and somebody was saying, I don't know who this was, but it made sense, folks, to me that you know a lot of social media, which I don't tend to spend too much time on anymore, because. First of all, it's a waste of my time. I find it a waste of my time. Now, my husband doesn't. He That's how he keeps in touch with the 850 people that he's close friends with. And he said that for the first time ever, you can, and I don't know if this is true or not, but you can really create a reality that by just completely deleting huge amounts of information. Now, I beg to differ with that a little bit because our reality is all made up anyway. I mean, there is no such thing as reality. It's subjective experience. So we can think it's real until enough information comes along and changes our mind. I remember because of my age, back in the old days, when you got a burn, say you burned your finger on something, what did you do? You put butter on it. And then all of a sudden, all, was it all of a sudden or did they just do years of research on it? They said, no, no, you put ice on it. Now we put ice on it. Right. So, you know, things do change. 
And uh, it's useful to understand this. I talk about systemic thinking a lot, but it's useful to understand that if you look at something from all sides, you get a better understanding of what can and will go wrong and what kind of risk you're taking and how can this work. So I think that what you're saying, Alex, is I think it makes a lot of sense to me anyway. So let's go ahead and recap decision-making is a complex process. It's definitely affected by our past and the authorities we choose to follow. And it's one of the reasons that I don't get into a lot of arguments with people because who's to say that their authorities or where they're getting their information is just as valid to them as as my information is to me. But when you look at the totality of an idea that's out in the world, if you're getting a lot of authorities that kind of line up and a bunch of them say one thing, a bunch of them say another thing, then it's definitely something that you need to research to make good decisions. And then go ahead and recap the doubling down, Alex. Yeah, doubling down really follows the decision-making in an attempt to correct course or to strengthen a position. Right. Sometimes like digging a hole deeper in an attempt to get out of the hole. (laughs) Isn't that what happens? Isn't that what we're talking about? Put the shovel down. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I think you said that earlier when we were putting this together. Yeah, just (laughs) it happens. It's kind of like getting stuck, you know, in your car and then you just keep you know, gun in the engine to dig that hole a little deeper. So finally you need a tow truck to pull you out. So, uh, but it takes years of science, the science to catch up to its theory. And they're not always accurate, even though they seem to make sense. So, I mean, for years and years and years, 300 years ago, people thought because what they saw was what they experience and what they thought was true. And that is the world is flat and that some point you would go far enough and you'd fall off the world. And it's hard for our minds to get around that. But you have to remember that absolutely the first time people actually proved that the world was round through a picture was that picture that the astronaut took of the world from the um, from the space capsule. And that was, that wasn't that long ago. Right, and right. That, that, that was real. No, that, <laughs> yeah, that was real. That was real. That was the first time anybody had ever seen the world, you know, mathematically, they can figure all that out, I think, but they couldn't really, pro- you know, how can they prove it? Cause what they've never seen it. So Yes, that was real. Then our biases and authorities corrupt the information that we're receiving oftentimes. So your BS detector really has to be on high alert in order to know who to trust and not to trust. And then beliefs and metaprograms act like biases in choosing a course of action. Use your history of good decisions and base your decisions on structure and not so much content. And make sure that you look at multiple sources of information, but also recognize their biases also, because people come from their own model of the world. And in the end, if you're going to have to make a decision, oftentimes finding authorities that are most like you are probably safest, but doing your due diligence will really help. 
So any anything else, Alex? This went pretty smoothly as I anticipated. Yeah, um, no, that was fun. Yeah. Anything else that you'd like to close with as far as decision making? I do want to reiterate before I let you talk that use structure, use structure of your good decisions, do your due diligence and make sure that, yeah, it has to make sense, but make sure that there's something behind that because sometimes our making sense for you doesn't always make sense to other people. And we're finding out more and more about that every day. Anyway, yeah, I would say keep in mind a uh, a major NLP tenant, right? The most flexible part of a system controls the system. Brilliant. And having that flexibility of of being able to take in new information can be key to really making sure that you stay on the right track. Right. Good. 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 Well, thank you, Alex. This was most useful. It was useful for me anyway, and I hope it'll be useful for our listeners. Uh, By the way, occasionally listeners get in touch with me and I just love it. And please feel free to do that. And some people have given me a little feedback here and there, which has been very, very helpful. So we love it that you're listening and that you're finding what you're learning valuable. And uh, you can always email me off my website if you have an idea you'd like to know something about in the more in the NLP world, the brain world in um, NLP related, we'd be happy to talk about that, wouldn't we, Alex? I sure would. Okay. All right. So also look to the website. I'm going to be posting this next few weeks, some classes that are coming up and also wanted to let people know that you don't have to wait for a class. Even if you're not in this part of the world, if you want me to teach a class on something, then put a little group together, eight, 10 people, and we'll do a class. If it's on Zoom, we'll do a class on Zoom. You know, if you're around the Dallas Fort Worth area, we'll do it in person. I'm fully committed to start being in front of people again because I miss you. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) so thank you, Alex. All right. We'll see you soon. All right. Take care, everybody. Be safe. Thank you for listening to the Brain Language Podcast. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or your favorite listening platform to keep up with our newest episode. Be sure to visit our website, www.nlptrainingconcepts.com, and find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter by searching NLP Training Concepts to keep up with free resources, upcoming training, and fantastic content. Thank you for joining us and taking our minds to the next level. We'll see you next time.